Brother David Fuller has done such a remarkable job bringing us the word of the Lord. First Thursday night and then last night. And I am so thrilled that he's with us. I feel that this is definitely the will of God. We've had so many people have come to me and said, Brother Grant, Brother Fuller's ministry has touched me so deeply inside. And we want you to know, Brother Fuller, that we really appreciate you seeking God and bringing us the word of the Lord. We're glad that you and Sister Fuller are here, and we want you to come and take your liberty to bring us the word of the Lord. Let's give them a big welcome. Would you do that? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Grant. Amen. It's good to be with you folks this morning. Madison, Wisconsin. All of you do not know it. My wife is from Wisconsin. She was uh, born up in uh, Rice Lake. And we met when I attended Bible college several years ago. But we're so glad to be with you today. Praise the Lord. Appreciate what God is doing. The wonderful work that your pastor, his wife and family and church staff is doing here. And God is doing so many great things that I can just look around and see and hear good reports about what God is doing. There's exciting things in store for you. I believe the best is yet to come. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I want to uh, be able to bring the word of the Lord this morning and, and get you out on the time that you normally get out. I was a pastor for many years, and uh, we had a guest evangelist one time who came to preach. And he says, uh, how long can I preach? I said, well, you preach as long as you want. I said, however, we usually leave at 12 o'clock, and when you get through, please sure to turn off the lights and lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> But I want to bring something from the Word of the Lord to you this morning. Praise God. I come to bring the Word of God to preach, and you've come to hear, and I, I hope that you don't get through before I do. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Genesis chapter 41, verse 50 through verse 52. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis 41, and verse 50. Should be easy for everybody to find. Amen. Of course, I know most of you are probably Bible scholars and, and know the book, and that's great. <clears throat> and unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Would you say Manasseh? Manasseh. Manasseh. For God said he hath made me forget. Would you say forget? Yes. Forget all my toil and my father's house, and the name of the second called he Ephraim. Would you say Ephraim? Ephraim, Ephraim for God hath caused me to be what? Fruitful in the land of my affliction. Verse 41, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me forget all my toil. This morning we'll talk about, talk about spiritual amnesia. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm sure all of you know what amnesia is. It's the uh, temporary, or I guess it could be permanent, loss of memory, partial loss of memory. I remember several years ago, I went to preach a conference in Nigeria, West Africa, and my wife was going to meet me in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and we were going to spend a few days vacationing in Europe, and uh, I was in Africa there, and 
the last night I was there, I stayed up talking all night with the missionaries and got finally got to sleep about 4 o'clock in the morning, had to get up at 4.30. And uh, next night was an overnight flight from Lagos to Amsterdam. And I remember checking in my hotel about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, intending to rest and meet my wife at the airport the next day there in Amsterdam. Before I went to sleep, I knelt down beside my bed and, and put my forehead on my hands like this and uh, to pray. I don't think I did a whole lot of praying because I woke up and it was dark and I didn't know where I was and I had a headache. I didn't know where I'd been, where I was going. I got up and I walked to the window and looked down about I could tell I was about four stories up, some strange city, strange-looking automobiles. I didn't recognize anything. I thought, where am I, Lord? Where have I been? Where am I going? It was a very, very frightening experience. It seemed like it was a long time, probably wasn't over two or three minutes, maybe five at the most, that I got my full memory back. But that was my experience with temporary amnesia. To be successful in life in serving the Lord, there are some things that you're going to have to choose to forget. It may not be that you can completely forget those things, but that you would choose not to remember those things with anger or regret or ill feelings toward those bad experiences or the people that caused them. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, Paul addressed this subject. Philippians 3, verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, one thing I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to forget some things in the past and look to the future. Did you know there are a lot of people who have allowed their past to destroy their present? And there's a lot of people who have allowed their yesterdays to ruin their tomorrows. God doesn't want you to have your past to ruin your present. And he doesn't want the yesterdays to ruin your tomorrows. But they can and they will if you don't choose to forget some things. I'm going to experience some amnesia. I'm going to choose to put some things out of my mind. Oh, I'll be able to recall those things. They'll still be there. But I'm going to choose not to remember them in a negative way. Joseph, the Bible tells us that he was in Egypt and he named his first son Manasseh. Why did Joseph do this? There are some bad things in jo Joseph's memory. Why would you name a little boy forget? Can you imagine this little guy running around, four or five years old? Older folks walk up and say, son, what's your name? Uh, forgot. <laughs> forgot? You mean you can't remember your name? Uh, uh, no, sir, that is my name, forgot. Well, how'd you get a name like that? Well, my, my daddy had some kind of experience with God, and he, he, he named me that, forgot. That's what Manasseh means, forgetting. 
Joseph had such a wonderful experience and walked with God. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to choose to forget some things. Oh, he could remember those things, but I, I'm not going to remember my brothers with hatred anymore. Now, he, he, could have, he could have had these things in his mind, and they could have destroyed his life. Joseph, you see, was a young man of promise. God spoke to him. He had dreams. God had revealed to him that he was going to do great things for the Lord. He shared these dreams with his family and his brothers, and they were jealous of him. On one occasion, when he went to see his brothers and his father had sent him on this mission, his brother said, oh, here comes a dreamer. Wonder what kind of dream he's had now. And uh, they were so jealous and so angry. One of the brothers said, let's, let's kill this guy, their own brother. And, and some, another one spoke up and said, no, we, we, we shouldn't kill him. Let's, let's throw him in this pit. And threw him in this deep pit. And it was deep enough he couldn't get out. Maybe there was viper snakes in there. And the scriptures, later on, the brothers, when they were before Joseph, they remembered this. And they said, did we not remember the anguish cry of our brother? You know, I can imagine Joseph down there in this pit, you know, trying to get out. Brothers, please, please don't leave me here. Please help me. I'm your brother. Bring me out of this pit. He could hear their laughter, you know, laughing at his expense. Finally, they did pull him out. Not to rescue him, but they sold him to some strangers that were passing through the land. These strangers took him down to Egypt. And here Joseph finds himself in a strange city. People talk in a strange language he can't understand. But they, they bring him to the central part of the city with other people who are bound with chains. And he's placed up on a block. And, and he can tell he's being auctioned off. And the auctioneer, you know, is saying, look at this young man feeling his muscles. And who's going to bid for this? Who's going to bid $100 and, or whatever? And finally, Joseph is sold. He goes home to a strange family, strange house, strange country. Can't understand anything anybody's saying. He could have become very, very bitter. You know, he could have remembered those brothers that did him to that, and he could have hated those brothers, and nobody would have blamed him. Joseph, you're justified in feeling the way you... You, you have a right to be angry. Joseph, you have a right to hate. You've got a right. But Joseph was wise enough to know that hatred would not destroy his brothers, but it would destroy him. So Joseph chose to forget some things. He had such a wonderful experience with God. But in the meantime, other bad things. It seemed like his path, rather than going upward, it was a downward spiral, away from the goals that, that he had in life and, and the dreams, the ambitions, that, and the things that God had shown him. He's falsely accused by the man uh, that had bought him at, after he had worked and, and God had blessed this house and God had honored him and uh, yet he was falsely accused and he, he, he's, he's, sold, he's put in prison and in jail there, you know, uh, there's Joseph, you know, he's, he's in a dungeon uh, and, you know, he, he could, certainly at that point he could have really had a lot of bitterness in his life, you know, but Joseph refused to let those things destroy his life. There are people today with things in their life that these things are destroying their life. Why? Because they haven't had an experience with amnesia, a chosen experience where I'm going to, not going to dwell on those negative things anymore because the future is too great and God has given me life and he's given me present and I'm going to enjoy it right now. 
But so many people can't do that because they're reliving, constantly reliving the past. Did you know Joseph, even in jail, even in Potiphar's house and in jail, the Lord used him and blessed him. He interpreted dreams in the jail for these people. You know, he ministered to them in jail. You know, had he been a lesser man, he could have said, well, this is not the will of God. I, I can't work for God here. I, I can't exercise the anointing of the Lord on my life in this jail. It's hopeless. No, he didn't feel that way. The gifts that God had given him, he allowed those gifts to flow through his life even in a jail. You know, there are people today who think, well, if I, if I had a better job, or I lived in a nicer neighborhood, if I had a different marriage, if I, if I had more money, I could really serve the Lord. You know, if we can't serve the Lord where we are now, chances are you'll never be able to serve the Lord. Where you are right now, it doesn't make any difference how negative the situations are in life. It doesn't make any difference how negative they are. You can be used of the Lord, and you can work for God, and you can serve the Lord, and you can live for God, even in those negative surroundings. If Joseph did it in prison, then certainly we can live for God in our negative situations. You know, Joseph, after a while, he interpreted a dream, and, and he told this man, he said, when you get out, you remember me. Tell Pharaoh there's a man down here who's falsely accused, and I, I, I need to get out of this place. But the man forgot him. I believe it was two years later that Pharaoh had a dream and he couldn't get anyone to interpret the dream. And he had another dream and he was deeply troubled. All the magicians and soothsayers, nobody could bring any comfort. They couldn't tell him what the dream meant. And then the man remembered, oh, he said, there's a man in jail. A, a, a servant of Pharaoh said, there's a man in prison. I should have remembered. He, he interpreted dreams for me and it came to pass and go get him. And so they came and got Joseph to come and interpret the dream from Pharaoh. You know, maybe you've waited a long time. Maybe there's people who, in childhood, you felt like, my life is really going to amount to something. And, and it's taken some negative turns. And it didn't, it didn't end up the way that you wanted it to. But just remember that God can quickly bring about situations if we will submit and surrender to Him. You know, Joseph went to bed one night a prisoner, and the next night he went to bed, a prince. He went to bed in prison one night, and the next night he went to bed in the palace. And just 24 hours, you see, Joseph was elevated. He, he's standing before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And Pharaoh's pouring out his heart, telling him dreams. And Joseph is saying, I know what this means. God has revealed it to me. There's going to be seven years of prosperity like there's never been in Egypt. The land is going to produce abundant crops. But you must remember the other part of the dreams, seven years of famine is going to come. It's going to take everything that you can store during these seven years to to feed the people. You better choose somebody that's wise and somebody that can manage these things. And Pharaoh's, hmm, I don't know of anybody any wiser than this man. He said, you be my man. He made him prime minister of Egypt and gave him a chariot and horses and, and a ring of authority. He was the second most powerful man in Egypt, only under Pharaoh. Joseph, you see, was such a great man. And so this little boy is born somewhere Chapter 41, the very first child. It's significant, the birth order here. Uh, Manasseh, 
always comes before Ephraim. We want to reverse the birth order sometimes. Ephraim means fruitful. I want to be fruitful, but I can't forget my past. I want to be successful. I want to have a happy marriage, but I'm, I'm going to hold on to some things. I'm trying to be fruitful. I'm trying to produce Ephraim, but Manasseh hasn't been born yet. And so we can't produce Ephraim fruitfulness, joyfulness, happiness, because we haven't forgotten some things. So he said, I'm going to name him Manasseh. Now, why is it important that Manasseh is born in chapter 41? I'll tell you why. Because in chapter 42, brothers are coming. They're brothers that sold him. And they're going to be standing before him in chapter 42. And the outcome in chapter 42 of Genesis would have been far different had Joseph not had this Manasseh experience. And you know, if we don't have that experience with God where we can choose to let God heal our memories and put some things in their past, then the outcome is going to be a lot different. So Joseph goes to his job one day, and here's some guys, some strangers, strangers to everybody else, but not strangers to Joseph. He sees these men here, and they come from food, for food, and they're his brothers. You know, had Joseph been a lesser man? Had Joseph not had a, an experience where he could say, I'm going to name this child Manasseh, I'm going to forget, you know what that would have been like? Probably something like this. Hmm, I know you. I believe your name is Judah, yeah. And, yes, you're Reuben. He gone, and they thought, who in the world? Joseph. <laughs> Shoes on the other foot now, boys. <laughs> you remember the pit? Yeah. <laughs> you remember selling me I've laid awake at night, dreaming this moment. Now I've got you. <laughs> I've got a jail I'm going to put you fellas in. <laughs> I've got a dungeon, the same one I was in, and I'm going to make conditions so bad, after you rotted in prison for a few years, I'm going to bring you out and have your head cut off. Had Joseph not had that experience with the Lord where he could say, God, you heal my memories. I'm going to commit my past to you. Sometimes we want to commit our future to the Lord. We want to commit our present to the Lord, but we can't commit our past to him. We want to hold on to the negative past, and we want to hate those who've hurt us, and we want revenge. Let me ask you a question. The person that hurt you, if you had them in your hands where you could do anything you wanted to do with them, what would you do with them? That's a real taste of your Christian experience. Would you be like Joseph? Joseph gently brings these brothers along. You know, he doesn't tell him who he is the first time. He knows they're coming back. The second time he comes back, we won't go. It's a fascinating story. You need to read it uh, again. You probably read it, but be sure to read it again because there's so many fascinating things in there. Wonderful story. Joseph gently leads his brothers along until he sees repentance, and then he tells them who he is. In chapter 45, you know, when he finally tells them Joseph, he, he, they're scared, they're afraid that it's going to turn out just like that scenario that I illustrated. Oh, Joseph. Oh, man, we're going to go to jail. We might lose her. No, brothers. No, no, no. He said, what you intended for evil, God has brought good out of it. Amen. Did you know everything in life that happens to you, whether it's good or bad, God can bring good out of it. Even the negative situations, God can bring good out of it. And I'm preaching to you a man that has not always had life as I wanted it to be. 
buried our oldest son 12 years ago. But out of bad, I see good. Amen. Only God can do that. Only God can bring good out of bad. We can't do it, and we certainly won't do it if we keep holding on to the past. Notice Genesis chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. Three times in four verses, Joseph said, God sent me to Egypt. Now, wait just a minute. That's not how the story goes. His brother sold him to Egypt. Isn't that how the Bible reads it? The brother sold him to Those old stinking, rotten, no good, hateful brothers. That's how he wound up in Egypt. That's how he got there. That's not how Joseph chose to look at it. God's in control. I'm in Egypt because God wants me here. You thought you were sending me to Egypt, but God sent me to Egypt. God sent me. You know God's in control of your life. God's in control of situation. If we would just yield to the Lord and surrender to him, God's in control. And what they thought was so bad what it seems so bad and it would have been had joseph not had this experience manasseh i'm going to name him manasseh and you know pretty soon after manasseh was born ephraim was born you know the thing that's hindering you from being successful and happy in your relationship happy in your marriage and successful in your walk with god is because you haven't had the manasseh experience holding on to the past i spoke Thursday night on forgiveness, and I, this, I suppose you could say this is a sequel to that message. Um, really, there's four areas of forgiveness, and I won't have time to go into to all of them at, at, in depth, but just real quickly, the first, they get progressively more difficult. The, the first area of forgiveness is so simple and so easy. This one, God forgives us. We come before the Lord, and we don't have to make we don't have to make up for the things of the past. We just commit it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I can't undo what I've done, but I realize I've sinned. Will you forgive me? And God is so merciful to forgive us. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful he's given us a beautiful plan of salvation. Amen. We can repent before him. He forgives us of all our sins. We can be baptized in his name and filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. It's so simple. And then the second step is, is a little bit more more difficult, and that's what I spoke to you about Thursday night. That's forgiving those who hurt you. Now, the third step, you see, in the second area, you're, you're giving what you received in the first area. Now, the third, their third step is a little more difficult, and, and in fact, much more difficult, and that's when you forgive God. Forgive God. Did that preacher say forgive God? Yes, forgive God. Well, has God ever done you wrong? No, he hasn't done me wrong. But there are a few times in my life, my perception and my limited understanding and my limited knowledge, I thought at that time, God, this just isn't fair. This is not right. God, I can't handle this. I thought God was not being fair with me. The fourth one is forgiving yourself, accepting accepting forgiveness. But I, I, I want to uh, deal right now with that third area of putting our trust in the Lord, of completely trusting in Him. When I say forgive God, or that means I'm allowing Him to be God and in control of my life. I, I want question what He's doing to the point of, of frustration, you see. Uh, if you, to help us understand this, let's look to Luke chapter 7, verse 29 through 28. 
in the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter. Now, John the Baptist is in jail. He's a great preacher. In fact, uh, Jesus Christ himself said there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist ends up in jail. What happened? There's a Herodias, a wicked lady who, uh, who causes him to go to jail. Now, you see, Joe's, uh, John the Baptist's life mirrors his Old Testament counterpart, Elijah. And, you know, you, you can look at Elijah. He was depressed. And John the Baptist seems to have a period of depression. And, you know, Elijah, he had to contend with Jezebel. John the Baptist had to contend with a Herodias. If we want an Elijah anointing, a great anointing on our life, there's going to be a Jezebel or there's going to be a Herodias or there's going to be a Herod that we'll have to contend with if we want that anointing. So John the Baptist is in jail. Now, you know, I like to get into the Word of God. I like to just live what I'm reading. If we don't, we're going to miss something. We quickly read over. John's in jail, and he sends the disciples over to Jesus and find out. Let's live what's going on here. John the Baptist is an outdoorsman. He's not a city man. He's not a city boy. He roams riverbanks of the wild. Man, he, he watches the eagles soar over, and, uh, and he hears the animals roaming through the, the forest, and he sees the fish jumping in, in the Jordan River. He doesn't like the city. He likes the wild. He eats locusts and wild honey. He's clothed with a garment of, uh, of camel's hair. Man, he, he loves it out there, but he's, he's in jail and no city, no fresh air. He's, in a, he's in, a, in a dungeon, a prison. Where are the crowds? They're gone. Nobody to preach to. His congregation is gone. Here he is confined to a very small cell. He remembers the outdoors. John's got to be thinking, maybe the Lord is going to send an angel down here, maybe spring me out of here one of these nights. Maybe I'll be back on the riverbank of the Jordan preaching. And he gets to wondering, I, I just wondered, did I make a mistake? Was he really the one? Was that was Christ? Was he really the Messiah? So the Bible says, he called two of his disciples to him, and he said, I want you to go to Jesus and ask him, are you really the one we're looking for, or should we look for another? You know, I can see John, you know, holding those prison bars, looking through that window. Go, go, go see him. Go to him. And so the disciples of John, they faithfully carry out his orders. They go to where Jesus is, and they approach him. And here's Jesus, very busy. He's teaching, and he's healing. And and they say, Jesus, we, we've come from John. We're his disciples. We have a question. Yes, I know who you are. Uh, what, what, is, what is the question? John has a question. Are you, really, are you really him or do we look for another? And Jesus doesn't answer them. At least he doesn't answer them the way they thought he should. He says, he heals a few sick folks. He said, go tell John what, you, what you've seen. Nothing about an angel coming to get him out. Nothing about, oh, yes, tell John he didn't make a mistake. I'm, I'm really him. He's, it's all right, you know. Has, has the Lord ever failed in your life to answer your questions? Now, the Lord doesn't mind us asking the questions. But he doesn't want us to question him or his character when we don't get the answers we want. We have to trust in the Lord. And so Jesus says, you just go tell John what you've seen and heard. And they go back to John. And, and now, now he's, he's, they're out of earshot. The disciples of John can't even hear what Jesus is about to say now. And notice 
Verse 24, and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak to people concerning John. And they had some very kind things to say about him, about how he was the greatest prophet of all. Verse 28, and wouldn't it have been nice, these disciples, they had been there to hear that. But they don't even hear it. They're gone. And so they come back. And here's John. I can see him pacing back and forth in this little cell. And they, John, you got visitors. And he goes, did, did, did you see him? Yes, John, we saw him. What did he say? Kind of, kind of strange. And notice there's something else Jesus said in this passage here about John. Verse 23, or to John. Tell John this. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Tell him that. That's what I want you to tell him. And so, did you ask him the question? Yes. What was the answer? Kind of strange. He said, tell you what we'd seen. What did you see? He told him the miracles. Is that all? Well, there there was one other thing. Maybe this is the part about, oh, yes, tell John I'm really him. He didn't make a mistake. Or at least maybe it's the part, tell him to hold on about Next Friday night, there's going to be an angel down there that's going to spring him out of that jail. I get him back on the road to make, he'll be preaching next week. Maybe that's the part. So he's holding on. What was it? What other thing did he, did he have for me? Verse 23, tell him not to get mad. Tell John don't get upset. Tell John not to get offended at me. Have you ever been offended at God? I have for a little bit. Thank God he forgave me. Amen. So John, he's here. He never gets out of jail. In fact, John dies in prison. Not defeated. You know, it would have at least been it would have at least been nice if those disciples, you know, after they'd seen John, how dejected he was. He said, well, wait just a minute, John. Jesus did have some kind things to say about you. He said, you're the greatest preacher that ever preached. But they didn't hear Jesus say that. So they couldn't tell John what Jesus said. They couldn't even give him that. So all John has is his faith in God. He dies faithfully. Remember, if God doesn't answer your prayer the way that you want him to answer your prayer, his grace is sufficient to see you through the situation that you're in. For Paul said, I sought the Lord three times for this matter. And he said, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. I've prayed to the Lord many times about situations or circumstances in my life that I feel I couldn't handle, and God heard, and He changed the situation. However, there's been a few times I've prayed, He didn't change the situation. But He changed me. I was the one that changed. My circumstances weren't changed. My situation wasn't changed. But there was a change in my heart, a change of attitude. I can handle this through God's help. The Lord and me, we can handle anything, you see. But... Two years or so ago, I had a wonderful experience with the Lord where uh, I felt like God really did some things in my life, and I began to really seek the Lord for the, the glory of God. I wanted the glory of God. And I was traveling on the highway one day, and uh, I was uh, praying. I was talking to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I, I want your glory. And the Lord spoke to my spirit. It was very gentle, but it was, it was a corrective thing that he spoke to me. He said, If you want more of my presence, if you want my glory, you must get sin out of your life. And I felt he was being so loving with me when he told me about the sin in my life. And I said, Lord, what sin? I searched my heart. I couldn't think of a thing in my life that was there. I really couldn't. 
And then the Lord spoke very gently to my spirit. He said, does not my word say, whatsoever is not of faith is sin? And he said, you have been doubting me. You've been doubting my goodness. You've been doubting my ability to provide for you. You must trust in me. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Every time I've worried, every time I've doubted, every time I've complained, I wasn't trusting in you. And I looked into the Word of God and discovered that the word faith is found 247 times in the Bible. You know it's only found twice in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 30, back to chapter 2, verse 4. However, there is a word that is found 107 times in the Old Testament. I believe this is equivalent to the word faith. In fact, I believe this word calls attention to the word faith and describes it more than anything else than even the word faith. The word is trust. 107 times in the Old Testament. Here are a few examples. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. Psalms 2.12. Psalms 5.11. Let all those that put their trust in Thee rejoice. Let them shout for joy. Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in Him at all times. You people, pour out your heart before God, before Him. God is a refuge for us. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. So I realized I wasn't trusting the Lord. So I said, God, I'm going to trust you. You see, we want to understand God. I want to understand. We living, we're living in the information age, you know, but we, we can, in our striving to understand God, we, we, can, we can fail to experience God. It's better to experience Him than it is to understand Him. I don't always understand what God is doing in my life, but I trust in Him. I believe in Him. I found that you can trust in Him at all times. Quickly, let's go to... John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, in this situation, again, I want to live the word of the Lord. Here's, the Bible says that there was a certain man named Lazarus who was sick. He was dying. Martha and Mary, they, they send to Jesus. What would you do, you know, if you have a loved one dying and say he, he was gradually slipping? Well, we got to get to Jesus. So these, uh, these, Messengers come to Jesus in John chapter 11, the first few verses, and Jesus is in a certain place. He's healing the sick, and messengers come and whisper in his ear, Jesus, the man you love, is sick. He's going to die. Let's read it. Therefore, verse 3, his sister sent him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not in the death. Now, skip down to verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, these people he loved, Jesus said, I'm sorry, folks, I meant to heal some more of you, but I, I've got to go. I've got an emergency. And he rushes into Bethany. Whew, did I make it? And he heals Lazarus. Is that how the story goes? No. Verse 6. Now, verse 5 says he loved them. But verse 6 says, when he heard, therefore, he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place. He didn't get in a hurry. He didn't act upset. And here come the messengers back. And Lazarus is sinking. He's, t- he's sicker yet. Well, well where's Jesus? Oh, I don't, he's, t- he's still over there. Well, didn't you tell him? Yes. What did he say? Well, he didn't seem to be upset. What if you sent for the pastor? You know, come quickly, pastor. I got a loved one dying in the hospital. Four days later, he gets there. 
But during this time, Martha and Mary, I can imagine every few minutes, Martha and Mary get up and run to the window. Uh, do you see him anywhere coming down the road? No, no, don't see him. They expect him to come. He didn't show up. Now Lazarus died. The funeral's hell. Finally, Jesus shows up. Verse 21, verse 22. Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Now, again, let me use my imagination and live the word of the Lord. I see Martha standing out there in the road. Jesus, you're four days late. If you'd have got here when we sent for you, he wouldn't have died. Where were you, Lord? Has God ever failed to show up on your schedule? God has, has a few times, he, he hasn't met, always met my schedule. But God has his own schedule, see. So I can see, I can hear the accusation in Mary's and uh, Martha's. accusing you know is that our attitude toward but finally uh, Mary they call for Mary now Mary spends a lot of time at Jesus feet in fact this Mary every time you read about her three times you find her at his feet first time she's sitting at his feet second time she uh, she's um, she's falling at his feet as here and the third time she's washing his feet but this second time she comes before him she falls at his feet and she just pours out her grief and says Lord if you had been here, if you had just been here, he wouldn't have died. She's not accusing. She's just pouring out her heart. And then Jesus says, take me to the cemetery. And Martha objects. Oh, but this time he stinks. Mary doesn't object. She spent a lot of time at his feet. You know, if you spend a lot of time at the feet of Jesus, you won't object. You see, your unbelief won't rise. But Martha, she had worked for him now. She had really worked for him and really served him, but uh, she hadn't really spent a lot of time communing with him, so she's objecting. No, wait, you know, I, I don't know about this. This that, that, The stone taken away. I'm just going to... Jesus said, roll away the stone. And then they roll away the stone. Jesus, Lazarus, come forth. In a few minutes, here's Lazarus. Restored back to life. Now, wouldn't it have been a wonderful miracle? It would have been very nice if Jesus, I'm sorry, folks, I, I meant to heal some more of you, but I've got to run. I don't ever see Jesus in a hurry and run over and heal Lazarus. But he didn't do that. Now, he didn't get there on time, according to their schedule at that time. But isn't a resurrection, isn't that greater than a healing? A resurrection is a greater miracle than a healing. You know, four days Maybe you're in that time frame of four days. I just feel like somebody here this morning is in that four-day waiting. It, 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 four days is a symbolic term. It might, be, it might be four years or it might be four weeks. But somebody's in that time period of where Martha and Mary were waiting. But, or what are you saying in your mind? By this time it's stinks. By this time it's beyond hope. I can't. There's no, re, there's, no, there's no reason to hope. But Martha, you haven't been at his feet. So... Mary, she's been at his feet. Yeah, Lord, it's right out here. Here's, here's, the, here's the cemetery. There's the tomb. Praise the Lord. So during this four-day waiting period, ever how long it might be, you hold on to the Lord. Amen. So there's times in your life that you have to go by trust. I don't know, Lord, what you're doing in my life, but I trust you. I trust you. As Job said in one place, though he slay me. Yet will I trust in him. The Bible says there's freedom in the fear of the Lord. 
freedom. When I fear him, I don't fear anybody else. Right after September 11th, I went to preach a conference overseas in France. Honestly thought I'd be afraid to get on an airplane. Never one time was I afraid. Never once I've been afraid. Why? He's in control. God's in control. There can't anybody do anything to me what, what God doesn't allow it. And if God allows it, so be it. Praise the Lord. He's in control. In closing, I want to tell you a true story that happened in the year 1991. I received a call from a man who's in our church, a new, new couple. They just started coming to our church and uh, had just been baptized. They had already been filled with the Holy Ghost. and They came to our church and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I didn't really know anything about them. They just coming in and he calls me and he says, Pastor, you and your wife must come over tonight. My wife and I are having problems. We need we need you here tonight. And I said, Well I'll be there. I hung up the phone. My wife said, Who was that? I said, It was Jerry. What do you want? He wants us there tonight. We must go to his house. And she had made previous commitments and couldn't go. She said, You go ahead and take care of it. So I, I went to their house and I, I walked in and uh, he pulled out a chair at the table and he said, Pastor he said uh, have a seat. Here's your cup of coffee. Uh, he was caretaker of a really large apartment complex there. And he said, my wife's got a problem. I want you to help my wife. I'll be down the hall working on a, a project in another apartment. Be back in about half an hour. You help my wife while I'm gone. So I pick up the cup of coffee. And I said to the sister, I said, Lily, what seems to be the problem? And she says, my husband is insanely jealous. And I put the coffee back down. I think, huh? I lost all desire for coffee. I thought, now here, I'm alone with a jealous man's wife, and I'm a pastor. What am I going to do? And I said, well, tell me about it. She says, well, I, if I go to the store and I'm 10 minutes late getting back, when I walk in the door, who you been with? Why are you late? And we passed by a store or somebody's house. I looked admiring the house. You got a boyfriend living there. And so I said, now I have to ask you a question. You've got to be honest with me. I said, have you ever given him any reason to question you or doubt you? She said, no, I haven't. I said, no, you're being honest with me. She says, no, absolutely not. I've never done anything to cause him to feel that way. I said, well, sister, I want you to go get your husband and tell him to come here. And I need to talk with him. You stay going about 30 minutes while I talk to your husband. So he comes in. And he sits down, and I pick up my coffee, and I begin to enjoy it. <laughs> and uh, I said, your wife says there's a problem with jealousy. He said, yeah. He said, I can't sleep at night. I wonder who she's been with during the daytime. I said, no. I want to ask you a question. Ask him the same question I asked her. I said, has she ever done anything to cause you to feel this way? He thought, no, never. Suddenly the Lord spoke to me. Understand they're new in the church. I don't know anything about them. I said, now in your life, there was a previous marriage. Is that right? He said, yes. And your first wife was unfaithful. Yes, numerous affairs. I said, what has happened to you is you have transferred the feelings from this first one to the second one. And your second marriage is going to end up in divorce just like your first one, unless you're able to forget the past. And just not that she's done anything wrong, but you've transferred Transference is what they call it. You've transferred. You see, there's a lot of people who 
they can't understand why they're having problems in a relationship. Like for a young lady, she's not careful, doesn't have a good relationship with her father. There, there's things there that maybe that wasn't right or needed to be. She will unknowingly, subconsciously transfer feelings for father to husband. And likewise, a son with his mother can transfer feelings of rejection from his mother to his wife. So it's important that we have Christian homes, that we show God the love toward our children so they can be better adjusted in life. But some people haven't had that. And in this situation, this man had left one relationship. He brought the baggage from the past into the new one, and it was destroying him. He hadn't had Manasseh. He was trying to have Ephraim, but he hadn't had Manasseh. He was working for a happy marriage, but because he was trying to produce Ephraim without Manasseh, he couldn't have a successful marriage. So I prayed with him. I told him, you've got to forgive. You have to forget. Oh, you'll still be able to remember. You'll be able to recall, but you must quit dwelling on it. You must quit letting this destroy your life. You must forgive, and you must forget. Some people can forgive, but they can't forget. You see, forgetfulness is a step beyond forgiveness. And that's the step just before Ephraim is born. I led him through a little prayer. Lord, you see what I have suffered in my life. I cast my care upon you, for you care for me. I forgive her. And he called her name. I forgive her, and I release her, and I pray that she be saved. I pray that she be happy. And now, Lord, I want to deal with this jealousy in my life. These bitter experiences have called me to be jealous. God, forgive me and cleanse me. The man began to weep there as I prayed with him, my hands on his head. And he lifted his hands. He spoke in tongues about 20 minutes as a spirit of God moving in his life. The next service, he walked up to me and he says, Pastor, I've been sleeping well at night. I haven't had any just jealous feelings. That was eight years ago. About six months ago, he told my wife, says, when Brother Fuller comes back in town, y'all come out for coffee. So we came out, sat there. And he said, you remember in 19, I believe 91, I believe the year, he said, you came to my house and God healed me of my past. Jealousy. I said, yes, I remember. He said, I have never been jealous since that night. Not one time. Amen. And I said, Jerry, I tell your story across the country. He said, keep on telling it. It works. It works. It works. Praise God. Why can't you have a good present? Why can't you have a hopeful, bright future? It's the past. You need to let God heal you of your past and forget some things. Say, I'm going to put it behind me. I'm not going to let it ruin my future anymore. Would you stand right now? Praise the Lord. Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Right now we come to you, Lord. You can just pray. Hallelujah. Would you pray and just repeat these words? Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I know that you're the only Savior. I believe that you're my Lord. God, you see what has happened to me in my past, and just tell the Lord. And how this person, and tell the Lord, you can just whisper to say it in your mind, how they hurt me. And Lord, as a result of this, I, I've had bad feelings toward this individual. But I release them today. And I forgive them today, Lord. Forgive me for these feelings. And cleanse me, Lord. And help me to produce Manasseh. So I can then have Ephraim. Ephraim is soon going to be born. 
fruitfulness is going to be born in your marriage and your walk with God. But after, after Manasseh is born, right here in this service this morning, some of you are going to have a birthing experience. I'm talking about a spiritual birth, an emotional birth. You're going to birth Manasseh this morning in the name of Jesus. And in just a few days, you're going to birth Ephraim. Hallelujah. There's anybody would like to come and pray as we bow our heads and seek the Lord. Amen. Would you want to come and seek the Lord? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're going to produce him this morning. Manasseh. Glory to God. I'm going to forget. God's going to heal my memories. God's going to heal. You know, it's only God can do that. Only God can heal. You can't change the past. But God can heal you of the past. What is done to you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask the pastor to come. Praise the Lord. Oh, God. You want to come and just gather close behind these people and give them space to pray. It's not necessary that you come and just lay hands on these people, okay? Just gather behind them to support them. Let them let them have a little space to seek and work this out with the Lord, okay? time for you to come step out from where you are come on and give your heart to God today would you pour your heart out to him would you my savior my savior my savior Lord. 